Thank you, Miss Becky. It's a joy to be with you today and to share God's word with you on this World Communion Sunday. Several weeks ago, Butler and I took a trip and visited some great friends of mine, Reverends Dick and Pat Unkenholtz, let's all say that together, Unkenholtz, in Prescott, Arizona. Dick was an elder who served the church I grew up in as the senior pastor in Jamestown, North Dakota. His wife, Pat, was an excellent organist. Not long after the Unks, which is what we call them, the Unks, came to First Methodist, a wealthy member of our church passed away, Mr. Carl Amundsen. And Mrs. Amundsen approached Pat, asking what kind of gift she might give in Carl's memory that would enhance the music ministries of our church. Pat suggested she purchase five octaves of handbells, and which that is what she did. From this gift, a tremendous ministry was born in that church, which would flourish under Pat's leadership. Twelve supremely awkward seventh graders formed the Joyfully Ring Choir, and we rang together for the next six years until we all graduated from high school. We traveled the upper Midwest together, performing at shopping malls, on television shows, you know, those noon local shows, in nursing homes, in churches of every size and denomination, wherever we could get an invitation to ring our praises to God. Around my freshman year, Mrs. Unk went to a handbell festival, and she took a class on solo handbell ringing. You know this is where, where this is going, right? Upon her return, she lit a fire in me with the notion that I might have the ability and the musicianship to be one of those elite ringers. And a monster was born. <laughs> well, hopefully not, but from the moment I rang my first handbell solo, and I remember it well, it was the Holy City, I. I had a sense that ringing in that way was a means of receiving and sharing the power of the Holy Spirit that spoke deeply to my heart and to others like nothing else I'd ever experienced. So I thank Pat for that. Later in life, Pat would go to seminary and be ordained a deacon in the United Methodist Church. And by the way, a few years ago, we figured out that Pat is the first cousin of our friend Myrna Harris, Michelle Baker's mom, in this congregation. Now that should give you a little chill, I think. The Unks retired, and last year Pat surprised me with the gift of this beautiful white robe. Wearing this robe reminds me that I am called to emulate the depth of faith and ministry that the Unks taught and modeled to me as I was growing up. Pat and Dick are now 92 and 94 years old, and it was a great joy for us to spend some time with them this summer to share lots of memories and to give thanks to one another and to God for our place in each other's lives. Now, I tell you this story in hopes that it brings to mind someone in your own life who encouraged you to respond to God in a way that you maybe never thought possible. In our scripture text today, we see a similar deep and long-lasting relationship between Paul and his protege, Timothy, a young pastor, 
and between Timothy and his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And we hear Paul's encouragement for Timothy to remain strong in his faith and his ministry. The letters of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they are about the concerns and organization of the early church and its ministry leaders. This letter was probably penned from prison, not a comfortable house church like some where Paul had been, probably when he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, but a cold dungeon where he was chained up like a common criminal. This is the most personal of the three letters because Paul speaks to Timothy as a son in this letter. In later verses, Paul suggests that these may be his final words and that he may be nearing the end of his life, which I think leans even, lends even greater strength to these words. The letter begins with Paul's warm remembrances of Timothy and of their close relationship and their difficult parting, of Paul's appreciation of Timothy's upbringing in his Jewish home. Paul praises Timothy and encourages him to remain faithful even in the midst of the suffering, persecution, unsound teaching, and the other difficulties that that young church was experiencing at that time. Paul exhorts Timothy to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands, that being his ordination into ministry in the Holy Spirit. Paul encourages Timothy to remember the foundation of his faith and the depth of his commitment to Christ and to the gospel, that he may remain steadfast in passing along the faith to future generations. Rekindle the gift of God that is within you. I came to know this verse via a t-shirt I was given in 1986, designed by the upper room's Danny Morris, Alan Morris's late father. Raise your hand, Alan. That t-shirt read, Fan into flame the Christ in you. Fan into flame the Christ in you. That is what Lois and Eunice did for Timothy and what Pat and Dick did for me and what we, the church, are called to do for one another and for the world today. Fan into flame the Christ in us. Now, as a counselor at Wesley Acres, I was not a Boy Scout, although some people may have debated that, I learned all about fires. I can build a teepee fire or a log cabin fire or a star fire, and I can make it burn so hot that you'll have to scoot back just a little bit. And when that fire wanes, I can stoke it up by adding some twigs and some logs and blowing on it. I know that you should never leave a fire unattended and that if a fire isn't fed and cared for, it will eventually die. So it is in ministry and in faith. The flame must be cared for and repeatedly kindled in response to God's activity among us. That's what's Paul, that is what Paul is talking about in this chapter. He's reminding Timothy of the fire he had in his heart for Christ, a faith brought to life at home before the horror of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion made him scared to speak, before persecution put his mentor Paul in prison as a criminal, 
before the gospel began to be corrupted. Paul is reminding us that the Holy Spirit is still within each of us, no matter how difficult our days or how little we may actually feel it, and that all we have to do for it to be reborn is remember, remember what God has done for us and breathe a little life into our faith. He's taking us back to the faith of our parents and grandparents because disciples take their faith home with them to their children and to their families. Paul is afraid that Timothy is ashamed of the faith because it took Jesus to the cross and imprisoned his apostles. And he's afraid that that shame might lead Timothy to stop telling others about the wonders of Jesus' teaching in his life. Paul is reminding Timothy and us that the good news of Christ is always just one generation away from extinction. If just one generation becomes ashamed of that gospel or unwilling to pass it along, how will the next generation come to know Christ? Timothy is called to hold fast to the gospel, guard the good treasure entrusted to him, and to do so with the help of the Holy Spirit within. We know from a simple camp song that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Fan into flame the Christ in you. When Butler and I began raising children together, basically on the day we got married, one of the mantras we held close, and we still do, is what you focus on, you get more of. As parents, and probably as grandparents, every choice we make teaches something. We have to be careful how we spend our time, our money, how we use our words, what we teach through the Christmas gifts we give, the cars we drive, and so on and so on, because we will get back that which we have focused on. And that's true for all of us. So I have to ask, what is it that we are fanning into flame in ourselves, in our children, in our grandchildren, and in our families? A love for sports and competition that takes the precedence over worship? A desire for money no matter what the cost to our family life? A disdain for the world and the diversity of people God created? A preference for play and leisure over practicing discipleship, or the idol of everything being fun and every moment being filled with entertainment. Now, as Dr. Clardius would say, I've gone from preaching to meddling. But those are just a few of the things that we struggled with as parents. How are we as disciples taking our faith home? It used to be that faith was like DNA. We just automatically passed it down to our children. But that is no longer the case for our children or for us. If we are ever going to recover the Christian tradition and strength in this postmodern world, even in our own congregation and our own families, we cannot proceed timidly. We must boldly stoke up this fire, this gift of God, the spirit of power, and of self-control. Paul says so in verse 7, writing, 
For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. In a family, it's not the job of the parents alone to pass on the faith. We also count on having some other family members and even some family friends to help. The same is true in the church. When we baptize a child, the entire congregation, the faith family, that means you and me, we take a vow to help raise and nurture that child in the Christian faith. So passing on the faith to the children is relevant not only for parents, but for all believers. Virtually every follower of Christ has at least some calling and responsibility to influence the faith of children. In the ensuing verses, Paul suggests what Timothy might do to reignite his faith and his confidence, to remember what God has done and practice those disciplines which bring the spirit to life. His suggestions are helpful to us, and they include these things. First, join in the suffering. When we join in the pain of God's beloved people, we leave our own needs behind and meet the Christ who suffered and died for us. In our community, there is ample suffering and many ways to lean into that pain. We can befriend and feed the hungry and the homeless, care for the sick and those who grieve, mentor a child at Reeves Rogers who might desperately need a parent figure, help someone learn to read, the list is endless. As Christian activist Shane Claiborne wrote, the true test of our faith is how it moves us in compassion for the most vulnerable of people in our world. This is what Jesus did over and over, why the Spirit gave us gifts to use, and how God calls us to employ those gifts every day. When we model such service to our children and teach them to not be afraid of our own suffering or of the suffering of others, we help our children identify their gifts for ministry and we fan into flame the Christ in them. Jesus and the apostles of the early church put their life on the line to redeem this world for Christ, and we are called to do the same. Then, rely on God's power. I don't know about you, but it is only through the power of God's grace that I seem to be able to survive this broken world from one day to the next. Can I get an amen? Paul invites us to give our daily struggles to God and to join hands with God and our church family in proclaiming and living the good news together. What a beautiful lesson it is to teach our children and youth to let go and let God. They might just learn what the important things in life really are. Next, remember your salvation. From time to time, we forget what God has done for us in Christ. And we need a reminder to breathe in that spirit, to remember God's story revealed to us in scripture, and to recall God's presence and power and action in our lives, in good times and in bad. In the church, we take this responsibility very seriously every week. 
as we seek to pass on the knowledge of our faith and our scriptures to all ages. Christian education helps us learn, digest, and live out the stories of God's goodness, whatever our age. Then, hold to the standard of good teaching. Being at the end of his life when he's writing this, Paul needed Timothy to carry out his ministry. Timothy's faith was a family tradition, planted and nurtured by his mother and grandmother. Perhaps you too had a parent or a grandparent or another relative or friend who mentored you in the faith and encouraged your discipleship. If you brought up your own children in the church, you may have seen that some stay faithful to Christ while others, unfortunately, walk away. Jesus gives us another opportunity to pass on the faith within our second family, the body of Christ, the church, and calls those who do God's will a part of his larger family. So can I ask, can I see all the hands of our Loises and Eunices out there? Raise your hand, Lois, Eunice. Hmm. You know, I was wondering about that. Because lately we have been truly struggling to find teachers and shepherds for the children and youth of our church. While we may not have Loises and Eunices among us, thankfully I can count on Pam, Kathy, Dana, Sean, Lita, Trish, Tony, and a few others who faithfully serve with courage, power, and love. And I pray for them constantly that their influence, model, and prayers will affect our children's faith for many years to come. It would seem to me that there should never be a shortage of teachers in the church. And yet, it's something Lewis and I talk about all the time. It has been said that God has no grandchildren. In other words, if we as the children of God do not pass along the practice of loving and serving our neighbor, if we don't teach our children the miraculous stories of our faith and instill in them the joy of joining their church family for worship and for Sunday school, the world will step in and pass along its prejudices and its politics, its self-centered routines and materialism and hatred. We need a few more Loises and Eunices at St. Mark's. Finally, hold fast to the faith and love of Jesus. The greatest gift we have been given, as written in verse 9, is that which comes not according to our works, but according to God's own purpose and grace. To rekindle that gift means to stir up that grace and faith and love we have received to breathe new life into the faith through the Holy Spirit. We are called to forgive as we have forgiven, to love as we have been loved, to use our gifts in sacrificial service to Christ as Christ served, to pray and listen to the word of God, and to stay in touch with the giver of our faith. We learn and practice all these things in the midst of the faith community we call church where we do 
fan into flame the Christ among us. Disciples take their faith home with them. Disciples don't just stop by and visit their faith on Sundays. We are called to live it, embody it, practice it every day. To Paul, the good news of Jesus Christ was worth wearing himself out for, and it's still equally worthy to us. It becomes a part of us, like the air we breathe that helps us stay alive, and the communion we ingest that nourishes both body and spirit. Praying together, reading the Bible together, worshiping together, and talking about how Jesus would have us live are all valuable ways to take our faith home to our families. So what are you doing to rekindle the gift of God that is within you, your children and grandchildren, your family at home, and your family here in the church. The good news is it is never too late to begin again. If your faith needs fuel or a breath of fresh air, the church is here to help you find a way to fan that flame and invites you to help others do the same. On the altar rails this morning are a couple of different items for us. There are wonderful little cutouts you see everywhere, persons of all colors linked together that invite us to remember the beauty of God's children all around the world and how Christians are linked together on this celebration of World Communion Sunday. Thanks to the Altar Guild for this visual reminder of our connection to God and to one another. There are also four baskets of thank you notes. When you come to the altar for Holy Communion, you're invited to take a thank you note and to send a note of thanks to whoever it is in your life that fanned into flame the Christ in you.